you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Josh, people are excited. We're about to kick off to another election campaign where the fate of human beings as a species will be determined, all based on our choices. Are you excited? Yeah. So I I think we're going to give, what, a 10-step plan for everything everybody needs to do to shore up their finances ahead of the election. Is that right? See, see, I love 10-step plans. 10-step are my favorite. The three-step plans, those are lightweight plans. Five-step plans, no, you're still not taking it seriously. You need 10. Okay, people, there's not going to be 10 steps. Don't look for them. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, we're going to, I think, poo-poo a lot of the things that people generally think are important surrounding these elections. And a lot of the stuff that you're going to see in the media out there, I guess we've been doing this a lot, Colin. Well, we are, but I think it's most important that we establish a playing field to begin with, Josh. So why don't you run down the widely held conceptions of what the various political parties actually mean? All right. I think first and foremost, there's this conception out there that the political party that's in power really matters for your investment portfolios. And there's a lot of evidence out there that says it doesn't. Secondly, I would say that the the belief is that a right-wing government, I'll keep it general for now, a right-wing government is going to be very good investment-wise. A more central government, maybe they're not so good, not so bad, depends on the person. And then if you go left wing, it's going to be, you know, catastrophic for your investment portfolio. And again, you can look across different jurisdictions around the world. We can look here in Canada. We can look south of the border in the U.S. It really just doesn't play out like that. Unless you got Stalin in power, I think we're going to be just fine. Yeah, because again, most people believe if we put the conservatives in power, then that's going to be best for business and best for the stock markets and best for the economy. That's And that's how they identify themselves. And, and some of this is, is how the parties want themselves to be seen. So step one in being a political party is you have to find a tribe. In order to be a tribe, you have to have an identity. And if you have, as soon as you have an identity, it's got to be against somebody else's identity. There's this conceptions out there that each party stands for certain things, and they go to great lengths to make people believe that's what they stand for. And that is dramatically different than what the guy beside them stands for. And maybe some of those differences are a little tougher to see when it comes to reality. Yeah. So let's add some actual color around this because, like I said, these are mostly misconceptions. The evidence doesn't actually put proof to put it. And I think Canada is a good example. The, I guess all of our leaders historically, at least in a federal level, have been with either the conservative or the liberal party. And if you look back 50 plus years or so, you'd be probably surprised that the liberal party stock market performance has actually done better under liberals than conservative leadership. Now, this isn't me saying go out and vote liberal because the stock market will be better. This is me saying it doesn't matter. And there's a number of reasons for that. And some of them are very basic. So the government gets in power and it, they, they got to find out where the pencils are and they got to put all the people in, in positions and stuff. And then they've got the politicking to do. And eventually they get around to, to making some policies, which may or may not have been part of their, their campaign platform. And then they set to, uh, you know, 
form study groups to talk about those policies and then they try to bring people in the room. Eventually they get around to enacting some policies and those policies are often long lived. Hey, we've had income tax since the end of the second world war. That was a policy idea. So again, the initial government that put it in place isn't really, you know, taking responsibility or credit for that policy, which is still part of federal politics today. So when you put a government in place, they, don't throw a switch and automatically change all the dials to their color and automatically change the fundamental nature of our government. It doesn't work that way. So these changes can be very long acting when it comes to, so it could be that, you know, the conservatives actually enacted better policies, you know, that have done more for the stock market or could have been the NDP influencing the liberal government who put the right policies in place. And you know what? Now you got a rodeo. We could argue this ad nauseum forever and, and, and have university professors write papers on it as to exactly what policies may or may not have influenced overall stock market prices. And you know what? At the end of that whole exercise, we'd still be no further ahead. <laughs> yeah. I like the rodeo and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the income tax thing because that's a great example of one of those policies that everybody thinks has a massive influence on things. And for sure, there's definitely some impact from income tax policy because it impacts just about everybody right across the board. Now, common belief is that higher taxes, especially at the individual level, higher taxes is going to lead to less economic growth. People are going to be less motivated to get out there and spend. Big government is generally a bad problem, whatever. There's probably a number of different rationales that could be thrown out there. If we look at some of the data, though, and I was actually really surprised to see this going back to the 50s or so, the highest tax periods of time actually coincided with some of the highest growth periods of time as well. Now, again, I'm not drawing a direct line here because this is completely counter to what economic theory would have you believe and really deep down what I truly believe. But I I guess what I'm trying to say is there's just so many other things going on that somebody increasing the top marginal tax rate by 3% is not going to have the entire economy collapse overnight. That's correlation. But again, establishing causation is much more difficult because if that income tax hike happened around the same time that the personal computer became, you know, proliferant in everybody's home, you know what, there, there was a much bigger force at play over that time period that would completely obscure the effect of that. So you, you can't isolate these policies and truly quantify their effect because it is such an organic system that it goes into. And again, the political parties are going to turn it into something really simple, soundbitey that they can organize themselves around but they have to abandon a whole bunch of real important facts in order to do that. And it's just the nature of the game. So to a certain extent, I liken it to WWE. It, it's a lot about the pomp and pageantry, a lot less about the impact. Like it's, it's not as impactful as, as the pomp and pageantry would have you believe, but it's pomp and pageantry. And there's something to be said for that. We enjoy a good show. Yeah, it's entertaining. That's for sure. The other thing that I, think is interesting is with the corporate tax rate. So the NDP came out with their platform a couple of days ago, and one of their policies was increasing corporate taxes. So again, for me, 
there's a bit of a tenuous relationship between corporate tax rates and economic growth. Again, economic theory would tell you that higher corporate taxes, maybe less economic growth over time, less incentive to really innovate, whatever. Canada already has one of the higher corporate tax rates in, in the world. So I'm a little bit uncomfortable with pushing that tax rate even higher. But again, we're not the highest. Some of the higher corporate tax rate jurisdictions around the world, developed countries functioning off a, a lot like Canada, their economy's not in the toilet. They're doing just fine. They've continued to grow. And we've seen corporate tax rates change up and down over many decades. And again, there's not a direct relationship between higher corporate taxes and lower growth. It just doesn't exist. And let's just talk for a second. Some, because somebody made it part of their platform doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's an idea. They are playing to their tribe. They're trying to put a message out that their tribe thinks is great. But does that mean it's going to be policy? Because it's an interesting conversation. It's an academic conversation. When it crosses the threshold to somebody saying, I need to change my portfolio or my corporation because this is going to happen. Whoa, whoa. wait, there's a big difference between somebody announcing a policy and actual change happening. And to preemptively, again, I use the expression like, oh my God, here comes the storm. I'm going to cut down all the trees in my yard so the storm doesn't blow them down. No, you're no further ahead. All your trees are down. So don't cause yourself harm trying to get out of the way of something, which has probably got a real small chance of happening the way it's been announced. And if it does, it's going to happen on such a time frame, you'll be able to slowly walk out of the way of it and not really be impacted by it. Because keep in mind, we live in a democracy. If somebody walked in tomorrow and said, hey, I'm taking everybody's bank account and I'm going to use it to pay down the federal debt, how long do you think they would stay in office? Six, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? No, it's, it, it doesn't. You can't just walk in and do whatever crosses your mind. You still have to answer to the electorate. And many of the significant tax changes we've seen, whether it's a change in the capital gains inclusion rates or other changes like that, there's a, it's phased in over time, like as of January next year kind of thing. That's very common. And it's a way for the party that's in power introducing that policy to stay in power. Because again, if you walk through the door and you immediately piss everybody off, you just dramatically decrease the chances that you're going to get a pension because you've got to be an MP for six years to get a pension. And that's important to them. It's important to everybody. So they're not going to absolutely piss it up against the wall. That's not in their best interest. And human beings act in their own best interest. I object when we start talking about this is the platform that was put out. What does that mean? It means that the platform, it's a soundbite that was given that some people are going to like to hear and it's going to make them vote. It's not an actual serious conversation about this is the government in power that's put out a discussion paper on making some significant changes. That's a little bit of a different animal. And maybe you do need to pay a little bit more attention to that. But it's used for two reasons. It's used for political parties to get your attention, and it's used for certain advisors to try to create angst in you in order to get you to make a change of some description. Those are the two ways this information gets used. Yeah, the capital gains rate increases is one you mentioned there, Colin. And we've been going back and forth about this one for a while. You've been firmly in the position of don't do anything that tries to get you ahead of, of a change that may or may not happen. And this came out ahead of the last budget 
in April of this year, people were already talking about this potential change happening to the capital gains inclusion rate. And I think some people were out there rushing ahead of it. And what happened when the budget came out? Absolutely nothing to the capital gains rate. And in case you are concerned about the capital gains inclusion rate affecting the stock market in a material way, well, keep in mind, we've had higher capital gains inclusion rates in the past. The economy continued to grow. The stock market continued to go up. Is it a negative at the margin? Probably is. But again, I wouldn't go out and sell your entire stock portfolio because you think the capital gains rate might go from 50 to, to 75 or anything like that. No, because good tax planning is going to be triggering gains at a reasonable rate given the balance of probabilities right now. To dramatically go in and make a huge adjustment to that, triggering much higher marginal rates to, to hopefully get ahead of an inclusion rate. Again, you start factoring in a higher marginal rate and then on a potentially what you hope is a lower inclusion rate, you're going to get into some pretty fine calculations that might not be as material as you think it is. Again, it's used for political parties to get attention because it's one of those things that is very inflammatory and it is going to you know, crystallize people or it's going to polarize people and get them to vote. And then some advisors will seize on that as an opportunity to go with the flow. And yes, we should all be upset. It's much easier to go with the flow on these things than do what we do and stand up and go, nah, it's not a thing. Because you know, we don't earn as many friends as you think we might by always poo-pooing things. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be putting in, out any, here's five things you need to do ahead of the election to protect your portfolio. <laughs> Nothing like that. That's not going to happen. We may use that title, but then we're just going to giggle at you when you actually click on it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if we could make this any more clear than looking at the last five years from south of the border. What happened prior to the 2016 election? People thought party A was going to win. Party B won. What happened to the stock market after that? The stock market went up. People thought that party B was going to absolutely crash that stock market. Four years later, the election happens again. What's happening? People think that party A is going to crash the stock market again because the tax rates are going to be too high. And if there's a contested election, that's going to be the worst of all the outcomes. And what happened? Well, something was, was resolved. Somebody won. And the six months later, six months after that, were incredibly strong for the stock market. Just in case you thought Trump really did crush the stock market, well, it was up 70% over the time, the four years that he was in power. No thanks to him. This is no thanks to Biden that the stock market's been up so far. Since November of last year, it just doesn't matter that much. You know, and, and just to jump on the point, this is not us saying the stock market always goes up forever, no matter who's in power. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the stock market's going to be the stock market and it's going to have a link to the economic activity of the globe and it's going to do its own thing. The role that politicians and politics play in it is maybe not quite at the level that politicians make you believe it is or what people sometimes think it is. It's not that important. Very entertaining. Again, WWE, it's not that important, but for some, very entertaining. There's a lot of flashy lights and loud people screaming and fake spray tans and stuff, just like politics. But it's not as important as the, the protagonists would have you believe. Way to go, Colin. You just ticked off about 100,000 WWE fans out there. I'm I look, if, if that's what floats your boat, go enjoy a good wrestling match. Ain't nothing wrong with good wrestling. 
I can't add anything to that. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us.